Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day. I want to add my welcome to that which you've already received this morning. Um, several years ago, I started a new practice that I want to tell you about, and uh, you might find it a little odd, uh, maybe even a little weird, but several years ago, I started praying for my grandchildren. Now, so we think, well, that's, that's not weird. A lot of people pray for their grandchildren. That's not odd at all. Uh, no, a lot of people do pray for their grandchildren, but uh, I don't have any. Uh, we still have kids in our home. I've got, a, I've got a 16-year-old daughter. We are not ready for grandchildren. That might be a ways away for us. So that's what I think makes praying for my grandchildren a bit unusual. Uh, anybody else pray for non-existent people? Does that ever make your prayer list? You know, when you're coming up with your list of things to pray for and you're writing out to pray for, you know, the people of Ukraine and people in authority and people who do not exist but might someday in the future? Does that ever make your prayer list? Praying for future non-existent people is a bit unusual, but I want to tell you where I got the idea and why you might want to adopt this practice. Not just praying for your grandkids, but praying for generations. The idea, the promise really, comes from multiple places in the Bible, but it's actually quite easy to miss. Uh, the first place it appears is in a, a famous part of the Bible, the Ten Commandments. No matter how much time you have logged in church, you have heard of the Ten Commandments, but you might not remember that the commandments, some of them include some commentary that's usually left out when the Ten Commandments are summarized on a bookmark or on a plaque. So I want to read this passage uh, to you this morning, and this passage I'm about to read is not just the passage for today, but it's the passage for the series that starts today, a series about family called Generational Blessing and Curse. Generational Curse and Blessing. We're going to talk about that in the weeks ahead, and it's based on this passage and passages like it. So as is our custom, would you please stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word? Listen to God's word today from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth below, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Friends, these words aren't just theology or history. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, you have just heard read the first two of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make a graven image or an idol. An idol was something made to represent God, and in ancient times, an idol was often a physical statue to which people would bow down and worship. But more often, an idol is an image of God not fashioned in stone, but fashioned in our minds. The Bible says that God made humanity in God's own image, and we often return the favor and make God in our image in our minds. And the image of God that we have fashioned in our mind may not be anything like the real God. And when we do that, we have, in essence, fashioned 
a graven image, a false image of God. And even more broadly, an idol can be anything that takes the place of God, anything that consumes our devotion or forms our identity. And God says in the second commandment, don't do that. Don't make yourself any idols. God says you were created to find your identity and your satisfaction in me. And when you go looking for that in other places, it leads to heartache. When you fashion an image of me, it leads you to worship something other than me. You embrace a distorted image of me. Uh, that You create a substitute for me that does not accurately convey my personality or my character. You say you're being loyal to me. In reality, you are worshiping an idol. But did you notice what was added to this commandment? What happens if idolatry takes root in our lives? This is where the the little commentary comes in. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Commentary. For I am the Lord your God. I, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So this is the first time we see that behavior of parents affects future generations. There is a ripple effect for good or for bad of parents' behavior. This says the sin of the parents will affect the third and fourth generation. And that's what we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead. What does that mean? Uh, just as importantly, what does it not mean? And how do we break those generational chains? What happens when we don't get what we need from our parents and how can we chart a new legacy? That's what we'll be looking at in the weeks ahead, and it's going to require us to dig deep, and it's important that we do so. This is really, really important stuff. That's coming up starting next Sunday. But today, on Mother's Day, I thought we'd focus on the more positive line in today's passage. Yet God does say that the parents, sin of the parents has consequences to the third and fourth generation, but God also says that he is showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the curse uh, goes three and four generations deep, but the blessing of obedience goes a thousand generations. The curse goes three and four generations, but the blessing goes a thousand generations. Yeah, that's, that's better. Yeah, in, the, uh, in uh, ancient times, uh, generation was considered to be about 40 years. Uh, in our day, I hear the word generation sometimes refers to 25 years. But regardless, uh, a thousand generations is a very, 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 very long time. And God promises that he will show love to a thousand generations of those who love him and obey his commandments. Now, is this just poetic hyperbole? Or is it true that the way I live affects future generations? And I found it kind of inspiring to think generationally, and this has actually motivated me to live differently and to pray differently. I've always prayed for my own kids. Those of you with kids, you do that too. I prayed for my own kids. But just recently, I started to pray for the kids that my kids might have someday. And then I bumped it out and started praying for the kids that those kids of the kids might have someday. And then for the kids of the kids of the kids. And then I, I, I took it out, future generations, and it kind of it pumped me up. God bless my family 
for a thousand generations, if this old world is still being renewed a thousand years from now, may my family be blessed and be a blessing to others in Jesus' name. So, uh, uh, you know, this, this, this gets kind of inspiring to me. I began to think uh, maybe some of the blessings that I enjoy are mine because of the faithfulness of ancestors of mine hundreds of years ago back in Scotland. You know, maybe my life has, has gone as well as it has because at some point some hardy, hairy Highlander prayed for me. She might have. <laughs> that was a Scottish Highlander joke. Those are, those are my people. Praying for future generations can be a lot of fun. Are, are your own kids frustrating you now? Skip right over them and go to the next generation. You have little tiny kids in your home? Just right now, start praying for your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandkids. You get the idea. This works, by the way, even if you have no biological children or grandchildren. You have spiritual kids. You have people whose lives are affected by your prayers and by your actions. I've started to pray for future pastors of this church. I've started to pray for future pastors of our region. Now, I don't know what a pastor is going to face 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 500 years from now. In my imagination, I think they're going to be facing a lot. But God has promised to bless them and show love for a thousand generations. They're going to be just fine. Now, I realize that praying for non-existent future people is a bit unusual, and you uh, might think that I'm on thin theological ground Send me your letters. Uh, I, I could be wrong. I've never actually heard anybody speak exactly on this passage the way that I'm speaking to you now. It, it really, it's possible. I could be off. <laughs> However, our God exists outside of time and outside of limits. So praying for a thousand generations seems like fair game to me. This concept has energized me. It has stirred my imagination. It has stimulated my prayers. It's made me more of a futurist. It's, it's pulled my attention off my own self. God has promised to show love to a thousand generations. So stop sweating the small stuff. Stop worrying. Now, we have a role to play, for sure. That is true. This passage does suggest that how I love God and how I obey God's commandments uh, affects future generations. That's what it said. Look at it again. God says, showing love to a thousand generations of who? Those who love me and keep my commandments. So this does suggest that how I behave affects future generations. But the main focus of this passage is not on my behavior but on God's covenantal love. And this is where it gets really exciting. So for a few moments, let's stop looking forward in time and stop and look back in time. Looking back in time can be very helpful from a perspective point of view. Uh, right, it's helpful if you look back five years. That helps you gain some perspective, right? But what if you go back 500 years? Uh, go back 1,000 years, you can gain a lot of perspective. See, we tend to think in decades. I came of age in the 1980s. I remember and love the 80s. Some of you came of age in the 1970s. You remember and love the 70s. Some of you came of age in the 1960s. 
you can't remember anything about the 60s, but you love them anyway. Right, we think in terms of decades, but history is judged in millennia. So when you're facing a really tough time and it feels like no one on planet Earth has ever gone through what you're going through, it's really helpful to bump it up a level. Take it up 100 years. Take it up 500 years or 1,000 years and you'll gain some perspective. We are not the first people to face a pandemic. We are not the first people to live out our faith in growing secular culture. We are not the first people to face opposition or persecution or hardship. In fact, bumping up a level and taking a long historical view forces me to pull up from my own personal pity party, right? And I realize that my time and place on earth will, could likely be regarded as the cushiest run in human existence. I don't have it so bad after all. By playing the long game, we gain perspective. Now, in the Bible, the long game is God's covenant with his people, which God initiated as a family deal. Covenant promises, all the covenants of the Bible were given to the people of God and to their children and to their grandchildren, to God's people and to their descendants. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Those famous names of the Bible, those are three different generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are our spiritual ancestors. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to see how dysfunctional that famous biblical family really was. I mean, they were messed up, and yet God keeps God's promises to this family. Even when this family does not keep their side of the bargain, God keeps his. And this ought to give us a lot of hope. As messed up as this family is, God keeps his promises to them. We see this famous family all over the Bible, of course. This is, uh, this is from the Psalms. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant, his promise, his commitment, his contract. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for how long? A thousand generations. Once you see this phrase, you begin to see it all throughout the scriptures. For a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. God started with Israel, his chosen people, but then he expanded this family to include all of us who've been adopted into this family, who have been engrafted into this family, and now all those family promises extend to us as well. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God too, but now this whole family, old and new, is held together in Jesus Christ. That is our history. That's our family history. Now, there was a time when Moses gathered the people together in the wilderness to remind them of their history. They were about to enter the promised land. Moses knew he would not be going with them, and he's handing the mantle of leadership onto Joshua, and he wants to get the people ready for this new chapter in the promised land. And he gathers them together in the wilderness, and he gives a speech which is essentially his farewell address. And this is what he says to the people on that day. The Lord did not set his affection on you 
you people in the wilderness, you, you band of ex-slaves, you Hebrew people. He did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. That's not why God set his affection on you. So why did God do it? It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The Lord did not set his affection on you, because you were bigger, stronger, or smarter than other people, you weren't. So why did God do it? God did it because he loves you and because God keeps God's promises. This is what Moses said to the people long ago. This is what God says to you today. God loves you. God keeps God's promises. We are part of those thousand generations to which those promises were first given. But we are in the downline of those thousand generations. And the word here used for love is that great Hebrew word hesed. We've talked about this word before, hesed in Hebrew. It can be translated uh, kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, or love. And one commentator said when you're talking about love, hesed, when it refers to Yahweh, God, this is fundamentally the expression of loyalty and devotion to the solemn promises attached to the covenant. The loyalty and devotion of the solemn promises attached to the covenant. Attached to the covenant. We are part of the covenant people of God. And this can give us a lot of confidence and hope. In the height of the pandemic, Carrie Job released a new worship song called The Blessing. And uh, the YouTube videos have got gajillions of views, and a lot of churches in America played it. Our church did too. And the lyrics to this song are basically the words of the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6, the time of Moses. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Those are the words of the Bible from the book of Numbers chapter 6. But then this song repeats this phrase, God is for you. God is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Now some of you don't like songs that repeat over and over again. But in the height of the pandemic, we needed those words. And about the 11th time, those words began to sink into my soul, and they were like salve to my parched soul. God is for you, not against you. Some of you need to hear those words now. God is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. And when God says that he will show love to a thousand generations, God is saying definitively, I am for you. So from our passage today, three takeaways. Number one, love God to the best of your ability. Love God with everything you've got, but know that you are not going to perfectly love God. Number two, 
follow the commands of God to the best of your ability. Right? If you love God, you're going to follow his commands to the best of your ability. But know that you're not going to perfectly obey the commands of God. And number three, trust in God's unwavering promise of loving kindness. God perfectly keeps his promises. He is for you. So at ease, parents, you're not going to get everything right. You don't have to. God has promised to love your family for a thousand generations. God loves your kids. God loves your grandkids more than you do. Now, in hindsight, and with full disclosure, one of the reasons I started praying for my grandkids a few years ago is because a few years ago I was diagnosed with advanced stage colon cancer. I had a rare form of cancer for which the survival rate is about 50%. A lot of you know my story. So for a time, I was convinced that I would never meet my grandchildren. And that thought bothered me more than just about anything else. I, I'm not afraid to die. Fear was never part of my story. I clung to that old Heidelberg Catechism. The first question asks, what is your only comfort in life and death? And I love the answer. My only comfort in life and death is that I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? I belong to Jesus. I know that whatever happens to me, I'm going to be okay. But the thought of not being there for my kids and my grandkids grieved me. And the thought of my wife, Angie, becoming a grandparent all by herself seemed unfair to her. So when I thought I would never see my grandchildren or never be able to pray with my grandchildren, I started to pray for my grandchildren. I figured I better front load these prayers right now while I can. Get them in while, while I can do so. Now today my cancer is in full remission. After chemotherapy, a couple surgeries, and lots and lots of prayer, I'm starting to dream more confidently about the future. I'm logging corny jokes to recycle with grandkids someday. But I've not stopped praying for a thousand generations. I'm going to continue that. Now, anyone with, anyone with cancer in remission will tell you they live with the knowledge that cancer can come out of remission. And I try not to dwell on that real possibility, but honestly, it's somewhere in my mind every day. But living with the lingering question of cancer is not a curse. It keeps me grateful. It keeps me in the moment. I plan for the future, but I know that I do not control the universe. Angie and I have already started to talk about our grandparent names. Anybody do this? You talk about what you want the grandkids to call you, even though you don't have grandkids yet. You know, you plan ahead. And I always thought that our grandkids would call us Nanny and Papa, because that's what my kids called my parents. But just recently, Angie said to me, I, I think I want the grandkids to call me Gigi. I want to be called Gigi. I said, oh, okay, Gigi, that's all right, but I don't want to have to be pee-pee. <laughs> We're starting to dream about the future of our family, and that's a really good thing. We're starting to dream about the future of our family. We were not perfect parents, not by a long shot. 
and I'm 100% sure we will not be perfect grandparents, but we have known God's loving kindness at every turn in our lives, and we rest on God's promise to show his loving faithfulness for a thousand generations. And you can too. Will you stand and pray with me? Well, oh God, every person here has experienced both blessings and curses that have passed through generations. Teach us in the weeks ahead by your word to break generational curses and to become people of generational blessing. Help us to love you and to obey your commandments, O oh God. Thank you for your great love for us and for your promise to love for a thousand generations. Thank you for calling us your children and for reminding us in hundreds of ways, both great and small, that you are for us. We pray your blessing on every person, on every family here. May our lives bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.